Hello, you. It's me, Graham Norton here. Thank you very much for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. I hope you're ready for a packed show this week. Virgin Radio Pride UK returns this summer and Matt Cain was here to tell us all about it, as well as the paperback of his book, The Secret Life of Albert Entwistle. Hannah Jane Parkinson was here to tell us about her book, The Joy of Small Things. Stephen Mangan and Anita Mangan are back with a brand new kids book, The Fart That Changed the World. (laughs) I said fart. The new face of rock and roll himself, Austin Butler, was in to take us behind the scenes of his starring role in Baz Luhrmann's new Elvis biopic. Show chef Martha gave us a full set of Jubilee Weekend inspiration. And following last week's success, we give the Waitrose Wheel another spin. Less successful. But first... Let's catch up with Maria and solve some of your Graham's Guide problems. Yay! She returns to the building. You must feel like Kim Kardashian. Why is that? Well, you're being filmed by followed by a film crew at all times. <laughs> I thought you meant my big bottom. <laughs> There's that too. And a lot of surgery, <laughs> which I really can't claim. But um, it's nice to see you, Graham Norton. Nice to see you in, in the flesh. In the flesh. Um, how is everything in your life? Uh, do you know, it's all right. Um, I, 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 I finally... How many fi- eyes was that? It was a lot. Yeah. But I finally finished a book yesterday. <sighs> finished, 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 finished. I know finish. you've been rewriting and yeah, that's so always do, the difficult do, bit. Yeah. So doing drafts, doing rewrites, da, da, da. And I send my little books out into the world and I kind of think, you know, oh, what's the worst that could happen? And then I opened one of the oh. papers today oh. and uh, <laughs> there's a headline in the, in the serious review section that just says... Is this the worst novel of the year? I won't say what it was. No, but but, but it, it certainly wasn't yours. No, yours isn't out but, yet. No, but I do think, oh, that's the worst that could happen. So basically, <laughs> soon there'll be the second worst novel of the year <laughs> by Dame Nelly of Norton. No, not at all. And it must feel lovely to have actually, you know, signed off on it, done the rewrites, written the theme tune, sung the theme tune, <laughs> <laughs> and got rid of it because you know it's hard. I popped a cork. When I finished it, did you? Yes, I did. How lovely! I had a little, little snifter of the bubbles yes. by the river, and it was very nice. I don't blame you. Talking of popping the cork, um, next week is, of course, the Platinum Jubilee celebration. Oh, yes, the Jubilee. Do you know, I just have to say that's something that's cranking my gears right Uh-oh, now. Oh, here we go. Here we is go. Is that people are calling it? Wait for it. The Platy Jube. <laughs> you must stop this, people. <laughs> I'm going to the platitude on the Lizzie line. You stop this portmanteau. These kind of words that are put together and shortened, it's really mad. That's right, the portmanteau on the Queenie line. I mean, the platitude on the Queenie line. It, it, that's a silly thing, isn't it? But are you celebrating? Will you be doing anything? Have no, you got I'm, any bunting? I'm, not, I'm leaving the country. <laughs> I believe you are too, aren't you? Yeah, no, I am. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm out of the country uh, next weekend. Um, but I'm sure it'll be a huge... Yeah, what's sweet is... The these you know cause every time you, when you look back at past jubilees and you see street parties and you just sort of think well that won't happen now you know people won't do that now they are you know people are very sweetly neighbours are getting together yes. they are doing something and it's kind of cute it is very unifying and I think everybody does love the Queen and her duty to country etc whether you're a Republican or not, or not you just know that she has done her duty and you know that's been her life but so we've had quite a difficult time so everybody wants to have a celebration in the sun bunting sandwiches what's not to like come on we're so british aren't we well i say sandwiches 
Martha Collison's here later. Oh, yes. What's oh, she making? Well, there won't be a sandwich. I'll tell you that. What's she making? I don't know. Is it something for the platy jube? It, yes. I'm never going to say <laughs> yeah, it again. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I hate when people say that. I, I know. I've said it ten times now. Well, I know, but it's got in, It's like an earworm, isn't it? You'll be saying it. You'll be writing a song about the platy jube before you know where you are. Well, You're going to play a song now, aren't you? No. Oh, okay. No, no I'm going to talk about Martha some more. Okay, talk yeah. about her. Well, because she's making things that people could serve at a street party. Oh, I see. So we'll get some tips. Yeah. But elevated, Maria, elevated. So it's not sandwich. It's not the you know egg no, sandwiches. It's and... not Rice Krispies melted in chocolate. Oh, what's wrong with those? They're quintessentially <laughs> British. And sausage rolls that are soggy in the middle. You know. Oh yes. Mm. Oh, nothing like neighbourhood salmonella. So she's she's <laughs> elevating it to quiches, is she? And small tartlets. Have you met Martha? Elevated to a quiche. I don't know. She wouldn't spit on your quiche. Oh, I... <laughs> this is very harsh on Martha. Martha, I think she's no. very fond of a. Quiche. Well, she's never made me one, and she's not doing it today. Waitrose have some very nice quiches. Oh, they do. Yeah, they that's do. all I will say. Yeah, before yeah. you spit on the quiche. <laughs> well, my next puppy is going to be called Waitrose. <laughs> I, I hear you saying, telling everyone to call their new babies Waitrose. Well, you know, it's I mean, lo- there's advertising and there's advertising, Graham. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, yes. Virgin Radio. Oh yeah. Uh, that was a cat, a German cat. Oh, I like oh, that. Oh, oh no, it's my, top. It's, my foundation. It's Topo Gigio meets Anna meets a cat. Now, can um, Maria still read? Let's find out. Yes. Let's see. Dear Graham and Maria, my partner and I have been together for eight years. We were meant to get married, but it was cancelled due to COVID. We were also meant to move to Scotland, but our sale kept falling through. This caused a lot of stress in our relationship, and for the past two years, it has made my depression worse, which has then, of course, affected our relationship even more. Last week, we decided to separate because we're both unhappy, but we love each other so much. We're moving out into different places in a couple of weeks, but it's really hard. We want to be with each other, but we're unhappy together. I don't know how to deal with this as it's my first breakup. I don't want to be without her, but we can't stay together. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. And that is from Jenna in Sussex. Jenna in Sussex, I'm so sorry to hear this, but you know what? Eight years is a pretty good innings. And sometimes you have to be mature enough to know when to throw in the towel. I mean... I'm just. I'm not going to be too Debbie Downer on this, Jenna, in, in Sussex, because it may well be that when you move out to different places, you both have different things to bring to the table: the COVID stresses, the house stresses, the life stresses, and your depression may have lifted somewhat, and you may find that you like each other. It's not the be-all and end-all to live together, but if you can be happy friends then this is a good way forward, Jenna in Sussex. Eight years is a long time. You've never had to have your heart broken before and it's a terrible thing, but I'm afraid I'm here to say that it will be broken again. Yes, and and that's a good thing. That your heart will be broken again because that's just life. That's just getting on. And with it's life. how you learn. And also, I mean, you hear about people. Oh, oh, we met in school and they're still together. You know, sixty years later. And part of me is happy for those people, but part of me thinks, oh, what a shame you 
you never, you know, had your heart broken. You never had a terrible thing happen to you. You never kind of, you know, I don't know. It just, I feel like life, you know, life's for living. Yes, but I think sometimes people don't want that to happen. I mean, it, it's quite a tough thing to go through. And sometimes you just think, I'm very happy with this person. I don't need to see the world and find out about other people. Not like you and me, obviously. <laughs> Been around the block a few times, Graham. I'm dizzy. Uh, yeah, really. Uh, so, you know, it's your choice if you don't want to go through heartbreak. But it's Heartbreak is how you learn and become better and mend yourself. And I think Maria's right, Jenna. When all the dust settles and you find yourselves in new situations, you may, you know, rekindle. You may do that. But I wouldn't bank on it. I think assume for now this is over. You've had your eight years and life got in the way. And life will continue to get in the way because, you know, you can't... You know, you were lucky in that you had presumably, I don't know, five or six years that were lovely. And then life started throwing curveballs at you and this relationship couldn't cope with them. And so, you know, that's just the reality of it. And yes, it was unfortunate you had, you know, COVID and your sale fell through and all those mm. sorts of things. But even if those things happened and you'd got to Scotland, something else would have happened. You know, the roof would have blown off yes. or, you know, Life the neighbours would have hated you. Or, and yeah. it's doubly difficult when you're in a relationship because, actually, you know, you still love each other. As as you say, you really love, love each other, but you can't be together, etc. There's nothing going to stop you from loving each other, but love each other as friends yes. for a while and then see how it goes and try and get on with your life and see how your depression and your happiness change because sometimes relationships can become toxic and can become bad for you. And people can be wonderful people, but awful partners. And that might be what's going on here. Yes. That actually you can love someone as a thing, but when you try to muddle through and kind of partner with them in life, that's hard. Um I don't know. I, uh, I think you've got to suck this one up, yes, Jenna, I, I and would, be brave. I would give up, Jenna, and then be surprised by joy if something comes back around. That's what I would do. By the way, my favourite responders today will be getting... Oh, so delicious. Waitrose Summer Cherry Bakewell Crumble Cakes. Two beautiful almond sponge cakes filled with fruity morello cherry compote and topped with ground cinnamon, flaked almonds and demerara sugar. You heard me. Yeah. Two of them. That's what you get if I like your responses. Billy and Dundee says, Jenna, as the song goes, breaking up is hard to do. But would you rather be happy apart or miserable together? Who knows? Absence may make the heart grow fonder or not. But life goes on and new opportunities are on the horizon. Uh, Jonathan in Darlington uh, says, Oh, Jenna, you're not breaking up because of hate and loathing, as many couples do. It sounds like there is still a friendship to be had. And that is true, and that's a good thing. If you can stay friends, that's lovely. Uh, Jenna, I feel like you'll be better off dealing with managing your depression first. Once feeling better about yourself, life and relationships will improve. And that's from Cheryl in Somerset. Sue in Swindon writes, Time for you to use this ending as an opportunity to take care of you. Get out walking, read some more, enjoy little treats, maybe even counselling if you're finding it hard to manage. My advice is that it's time to grow you. And uh, no, who's going to get the cakes? I'm going to give the cakes to Cheryl in Somerset because I do feel like if, if Jenna can cope with her depression and deal with her depression, then everything else will kind of be easier to cope with. Radio Sky. 
Another letter, please. Oh, I wanted you to say it in German cat voice. OK, here it is, the second letter. I think this is going to resonate with a lot of Virgin Radio listeners. Dear Graham and Maria, I have been with my lovely fella for nearly four years now. We're both in our 50s, and while we don't live together, we do spend weekends and the occasional midweek night, which suits us both. But he is the most horrifically horrendous snorer. And even though I wear earplugs, it's so incredibly loud that I always end up retreating to the spare room. Even then, with earplugs, I can still hear him. I know I'm not alone with a partner who snores, but of late, it's driving me to distraction. A GP friend of mine recommended a snoring app that shows a snore score. Quite hard to say. Anything between 0 and 25 is normal. Anything above isn't. When it's just me, I range from anything between... Between 5 and 19. Oh, you're a snorer too. But when I'm with him, it's over 140. Don't really understand that. I brought this up with him, which he dismisses, and says it's what all the males in his family do, including his teenage son, calling the app nonsense. I've put up with this for the past two to three years, but it's now getting to the point where I dread staying overnight and holidays where I know retreating to another bedroom is not an option. I've bought anti-snore pillows, discreetly tried anti-snore sprays. (laughs) wonder how you do that discreetly. And when I do bring this up with him, it always ends up with an argument. It's not grounds for ending our relationship, but I'm at my wits end. I don't know what to suggest or to try next. And that is Felicity in Falmouth. Thank you for that comprehensive listing of the snoring woes. Now, Felicity and Falmer, I'm going to say to you, this can be dangerous. If it's sleep apnea, is he gasping, choking, noises when he's asleep? Because sleep apnea sometimes means that you stop breathing. You can stop breathing for up to, I think it is 45 seconds, and that's what wakes you up because you need to because of the snoring. So I would say, they actually say on the NHS website, if snoring is having an effect on you or your partner's life, immediately see a GP. And especially if it is sleep apnea. I mean, there is a character in Coronation Street, they've been dealing with this storyline, who has... What? (laughs) I said, wow. Yeah, really. (laughs) Um, Who has a sort of breathing apparatus... Um, because it was affecting his relationship and so on. I mean, they are tackling issues that are relevant to their viewers. Yes. And whilst he does look a bit like Darth Vader wearing it, this character in Coronation Street, it's completely helped the snoring. I know Coronation Street isn't real life, but, you know, they do... I've got a friend who has one of those, and and it does work. But I think, Maria, everything you're saying is true, but none of it is relevant until he admits this is a problem. Because he's saying, oh, yes, we, we, you know, I come from a family of snorers and we all snore. And like, he is being, uh, yes. I, I mean, I don't like him. He's being pig-headed about it. Because you it. kind of think you should be embarrassed and apologetic that you're keeping somebody awake all night with their snoring. Yeah. You know, if, if the peak of normality is 20, I don't know how this app works, but if the peak of normality is 25 and he's registering 140, that's a problem. No, that is shaking the roof, isn't it? But that's what I'm saying to you, Felicity and Falma. Tell your husband this could be dangerous because people do, you know, suddenly they stop breathing, then they struggle, then they might have a heart attack. So it's to help him. The GP will help him see this through. And if it means getting one of these breathing machines so that you can sleep, even when you're just there midweek and over the weekend, then this may be a good thing. The snore pillows, the strips, I know. But, but I also, I do think, you know, Felicity saying, oh, it's not grounds for ending our relationship. I sort of kind of think it is because he's so being so dismissive of your needs and your concerns. He's just saying, no, I'm not going to do 
anything about this thing that is causing a huge problem to you. That's not but reasonable you know, or not. Or I know, that's but that's not, not the problem she's writing about. But she, I, I think men can be embarrassed by this. Men can say, everybody in my family snores. It's always been a snoring thing. They do say, of course, Felicity, lose weight, cut down on the alcohol and no smoking. I mean, I'm guessing that your husband might do some of those. A boyfriend, have, I think. A boyfriend, sorry. Yeah. I'm guessing your your boyfriend might have some of those in his life. So if he's prepared to do some of those things, lose some weight, give up smoking, you know, drinking obviously makes one snore. Um, he, you know, it might help. But he's not prepared to say he snores. So, you know, <laughs> no, wh- where are you going with this? he snores, but he says everybody in my family snores, therefore yeah. it's okay. And you just need to, you know, like it or lump it, Felicity. Not good enough. I mean, that's, that is not a good partner to have. Well, she doesn't want to end the relationship. I would. But she's at her wit's end. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you would, but, you know, you're not Felicity in Falmouth. Well, no, but I think Felicity is kind of missing the po- point here. She's thinking the problem is the snoring. The problem is actually she's with somebody who refuses to acknowledge it. Arrogant and pig-headed, yeah. yes. That's there. We've said it out loud. But the problem is also the snoring. I mean, she presumably knows that he's arrogant and pig-headed and that has not stopped her going out with him for four years. Yes, but you but... can't tackle the snoring until he acknowledges it because, you know... Felicity's not the one snoring. You know, she can come up with, you know, like you, you can list all the things about sleep apnea, the the apparatus you can get, the this, the that, the, the, the. None of it's practical until he decides to do something yeah. about it. But so maybe it can be an ultimatum because I thought maybe telling him if something was dangerous might make him go to the doctors, but that normally makes men um, double down on their, <laughs> no, I'm not going to, I don't snore. Um, but what about if you issue an ultimatum for Felicity and you say... Unless you go and see a GP, because I think this is dangerous and I don't want to lose you, um, I'm going to have to rethink this whole thing. What will he say to that? I, I, funny I feeling, think he might just say, well, sling your hook. Yes, I think so too. In different terms. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I worry for Felicity and her relationship. If you've got advice for Felicity, and I'm sure there will, again, there will be practical advice because, as you know, if Coronation Street are doing it, you know it's an issue. So, uh, but... But it's more about how to get him to acknowledge that he's got a problem. The response is part two. And my favourite responder will be getting the Waitrose Summer Cherry Bakewell Crumble Cakes. Two of them in a box. Uh, Robin in Westminster. There is a guaranteed fix for snoring. Oh, hello. I snore terribly. Very loud. He's proud, is Robin. It may seem excessive, but put a strip of microporous tape. I don't even know what that is, but... You heard me. Microporous tape across the snorer's lips mouth. I do this every night and my wife gets a good night's sleep and so do I. It really does work. OK, but the problem is this guy isn't willing to accept it's a problem. He thinks it's Felicity's problem. Rachel is in Cardiff. I sleep next to a mega snorer. He uses a gadget like a fused gum shield, which forces his lower jaw forward and stops the snoring. It's a game changer. There are times when a night out somehow manages to trump the snorbin device and I have to resort to nudges and threats. So it's, yeah, so there's, that's two really good tips. However, not really helpful to Felicity because the guy won't acknowledge the problem. Carola in Sandback in Cheshire says, The relationship is doomed. You're you're already having to sleep in another bedroom in your own house. He's selfish and dismissive. Dump him and find someone that truly cares about you. I mean, that sounds harsh, but I kind of agree. (laughs) Mark from Dundee. What about recording his snoring? Put it on a continuous loop and maybe then he will realise there is a problem for both him and his partner. He'll probably just sleep through it and then go, See? See? 
It's not a problem. Jane is in Leicester. Morning, Graham and Maria. My first thought for this date was to contact Nick Knowles. Uh, as I was in the kitchen, I thought Maria said storer. <laughs> yes, new cupboards. That's that's what he wanted. No. My second piece is to bite the bullet and sleep in separate beds or simply leave right now. There will be other concerns of hers that this man will simply swat away. Oh, dear. I mean, I'm tempted to to give the cake to bit, but no, I'll, I'll be nice and I'll give the cake. I'll give the cake to our out and proud snorer with a solution. Robin from Upminster, well done you for outing yourself as a big snorer and for suggesting a solution. You get the Cherry Bakewell crumble cakes, I tell you. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Right, it is time to meet my first guest of the day. Uh, she's a columnist. You may have read her column in The Guardian. She's now compiled those columns into a book, The Joy of Small Things. Her name is Hannah Jane Parkinson. She joins us now. Hello. Hello. <gasps> Uh, so <laughs> is that me because I'm late? No, no, no. That's me because I'm over. I'm overexcited. Oh, okay. I, I'm on my second coffee of the morning, so it's it's all bad. It's the joy, the joy of a it's small of thing coffee. of coffee, slightly too big a thing of coffee. So uh, the the genesis of the column. Uh, talk to us about that. So is J B Priestley or yes. was that a kind of a? You've done your research. That's good. Well, I I, I read um. the first page of the book. It's right, that's right there. <laughs> Um, I thought you were just going to say the prompt sheet, so that's more than I anticipated. Yeah, J.B. Priestley is a playwright who you may know, not personally because he has been dead for a long time. Yeah. But he was famously grumpy and he wrote this book of essays called Delight in, say, the 40s, kind of post-war time, and as a repast to say, actually, these are all the things that I like and enjoy. And a while ago, a girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, gave me this book as a, a very serious face. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and um, a moment of silence. Yeah. Was this the moment you you broke up? <laughs> yeah. I, I, would, I could write this better. So. Um, so that was basically I nicked the idea. I thought this started the... I went to The Guardian. Or I work at The Guardian, but I thought we could do with a bit of cheering up every Saturday because the world had got, I'm going to say, pear-shaped. For the, that's the radio term. Yeah. Um, and I thought we could do with some kind of something cheering every Saturday. So there are these little entries on things that are uplifting or, you know, kind of a, an antidote to everything that was going on. But I didn't realise then that we would have a, a, a once in a century pandemic. Yes. <laughs> you thought things were bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But actually, I, I, you know, cause the hardback came out uh, the, kind of last year and you think, mm -hmm. what a perfect book to come out in the middle of a pandemic. For readers, but for me, I kind of was eking out every last bit of joy that I had every week thinking there are a finite number of joys in the world. I did wonder, like, the pressure. Did it suck the joy out of things? Because you were walking around going, did that give me joy? Is that, is that material? Is that material? <laughs> um, like, people just start writing anecdotes. They don't live there. It's like selfies and camera phones and nobody, you know, do you... It's like keeping a diary. Where, you know, your life becomes, the, the diary can become like a, a tyrant in your life where you, you've got to do something to put in the diary. So I guess you, well, have, to, yeah. you have to find joy, which is a nice thing. You have to in find a way, joy. though, it weirdly, I think, made me kind of appreciate things more because actually I'm quite a, a, a quite cynical, dark person, Graham. Um, <laughs> so having to kind of think of things, you do, it sort of focuses the mind on the uh, on the nice things. Because I really didn't want it to be cloying or sort of whimsical. I'm not, I'm, I really don't like that kind of stuff. So in a way also it was, um, 
you know, kind of pushing against that by finding like one of the things in that one of the entries is pettiness. I just I love pettiness. So that I find really cheering, you know, so it's not kind of I mean, there are moments of kind of classical or a really nice cup of tea or, you know, some coming through the clouds, but things like pettiness or, or there's there's one about foreign idioms. And, and there's, I mean, we, we don't really mention Russia now, but one of their phrases is instead of saying a workman doesn't blame his tools, he says an ugly man doesn't blame the mirror. So that's good, isn't it? It's good, right? Yeah. So there are, yeah, there are a lot of things that aren't, or, or kind of niche things, and then there are things that are more general. There's a Norwegian one I like, uh, butter on bacon, which means kind of it's superfluous, you don't need it. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like oh. gilding the lily. You uh, could have told me that when I was, <laughs> when well, I needed I li- the material. I, li- I like some of the, some of the things that spark joy are obviously a reaction to things that also irritate you. So there's what about uh, uh, neighbourhood graffiti, and yes. you end it on a poster where someone's written in uh, the women's names on a film poster. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. But what what I read in there was like that bugs you <laughs> when <laughs> exactly. they're not there. <laughs> exactly. Some of them were. Yeah. Some of them kind of three paragraphs of I hate this, and then the final paragraph is the joy that I get when it's you know the the opposite. But exactly, it's it's you know things like that, and, and some yeah some of them come out of bad situations, but then. You know, that you take, you know, when you're sick or you have a cold and then you start to feel better and suddenly you, you think, yes, OK, I'm so grateful that I can breathe again. Now, you uh, wrote this book a while ago, so let me uh, test you. The oh, word okay. the word for the smell of... Petrichor. Bruce. Oh, well done. Say it again. Petrichor. Uh, explain to the listeners what that is. That is... Um, Although I feel like I'm stepping somewhat on Susie Dent's toes here. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> That's another beef. small joy. We've got long, long stand beef. Um, that is the smell of after it's rained. When it's... Um, that don't... No, no. Like, <laughs> listeners, say like it's listeners, dirty. No, listeners are getting a bit tense. You just kept going, the that smell. is the smell. That is the smell. The so smell. Like, what is it? What is the smell? <laughs> I've obviously been warned about things that I can and can't talk about. So Good. it's going to be safe. Um, yeah, it's that kind of... Uh, it smells always grassy to me, but it doesn't necessarily have to be grass. But it, every, everyone knows that smell after a train and it's kind of fresh. And there is a lot of science behind it to do with soil. <laughs> and endorphins she and says. things. And you have know. you stopped the column now? Uh, I have stopped the column of my own volition, just throwing in there that I wasn't axed or fired. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a redesign of the magazine and I thought this would be a really nice uh, place to stop because I didn't want it to get to the point where I was... Y- you know, to the faking the joy, um, yes. which a lot of straight women do, um, <laughs> which is why I'm not straight. So I love the direction I've taken this interview. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that either. Yeah. I feel like you're not talking to me. You're talking to someone out there. You're making a point. Always. There's someone listening to this and you've got something to tell them. That's why I'm not in any dating girls. So I just thought I'd come here. <laughs> So now here's the thing: uh, the 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 book, the Joy Small Things, is out now. The column is now in your past. Um, have you come up with another idea for a column where you're going? Okay, it's the you know the joy of small irritations, or you know, so you can burrow deep into the negativity in your soul. It has, it has been suggested, <laughs> but that would be kind of multi-volume. I think if that came out in, in book form, it would be. You know, you know those massive libraries that people have where they have to ladder to to go up. <laughs> um, no, I haven't, but I'm sure. No, yeah, as, after, I'm, as after I'm asking you, of, I'm. <laughs> you're thinking I've got of about your own. my first year's column. It's just <laughs> it's in my head now. It's just spilling forward. 
Um, no, but there's plenty of time. Yeah, and but is there for you? Is there pressure because you had had a, a you know a successful long running column? Are the paper kind of going poking with a stick and kind of going? We know you've got an idea in there. I think the I think the pressure is more if I meet people and they think that I'm going to be really jolly and happy <laughs> and I'm actually quite dark and laugh at things today. But as I say, that's what I tried to avoid because I wanted it to be, yeah, not too kind of uplifting, but not. Like to us, not sickly, which is the opposite. Um, I don't know if they think I have more good ideas. You'll have to ask my editors. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll see. We'll um, see if there's a if there's a pay rise forthcoming. And as the column went out, and with the when the book arrived, what sort of feedback were you getting? Were you, do people kind of write to you or email you or tweet you and say, "Oh, this has sparked joy in me, and it's been a lovely thing for me." Yes, I get a lot of that, and I've had a, uh, a lot of letters recently weirdly mostly from australia and america which i think maybe people further away f- from me they are they like me more i don't i don't <laughs> i'm trying not to take that personally but what i love are the ones where people would email and say well i hate that you think okay well <laughs> you do you that's fine how dare you write about the fact that you like window seats on planes they're the worst ones okay or it's you taking them all up. That's why I can never get one. And I also love, I was talking to my friend Jess the, the other day about this. When you, you must kind of get this as well. When people send you abusive messages, but they're also quite polite. So be sort of like, dear, you know, dear Hannah, I can't believe they're paying you for this. Kind regards. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, but the one that I really liked was the J.B. Priestley Society um, wrote to me and made me an, an honorary member. Oh, phew. Yeah, they did. Oh, yeah. I thought they were going to rip. Send, send a cease and desist letter. <laughs> <laughs> Just a massive bill to the Guardian. Were, did, did you have any? Uh, I mean, obviously the idea quite similar, but did you have any overlapping <laughs> delights with uh, JB Priestley? That is a very good question. Um, a very good question. I do, and what I love is that it's the one about cancelling plans. You know, when you really don't want to do something, someone else bails first, yeah. and you, it's glorious. It's probably one of my favourite things in life. He also did something similar. So that's the only one that I think I could be, you know, copyright infringement. Yes, I feel um, like the pandemic maybe cured us of that. I know, that was really annoying. <laughs> it was the silver lining. It was the silver lining to the pandemic, but then it became like, oh, actually, I'd quite like to have a plan. Yeah, exactly. That was kind of timing-wise uh, not great. So we had to shift into very, you know, a lot of them actually were were, were quite, you know, going for like a, a nice walk in the park. Like well-dressed dogs. I love a dog. I love like a classily dressed, like Dachshund, for instance. See, I would, I would, no. I'm writing You're- you a letter. <laughs> Are you not a fan of the the mini deck? Oh, no, I love a mini deck, but not in clothes. Don't put clothes on them. No, I love not silly clothes, but like you can get a little like barber jacket for a dog. That's silly clothes. It's on a dog. If that's on but a person, it's nice clothes. On What's a dog, I... it's immediately silly. My, my friend's dog was like shivering so hard. I said it's cold. She said it's just anxiety, babe. I was like, you know, I'm I'm with your friend. No. I'm with your friend <laughs> because it's not natural that your dog is stuck in traffic, <laughs> and it's not natural your dog's wearing a Why is your dog coat. driving a car? <laughs> <laughs> I obviously I trained it too well. Uh, the joy of small things. It is out in paperback next Thursday. Uh, Hannah Jane Parkinson, thank you very much for coming to join us. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Saturday, and yeah, I hope you're. Joyous. I hope you're broadcasting dating appeal has gone well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
please, please let us know. I feel like Silla now. I feel like Silla, I'm going to buy a hat. <laughs> nice to see you. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my second guest of the day. He's a novelist, a broadcaster, and he's part of the family. It's Matt Kane. Hello. Hi, it's lovely to be here. Uh, lovely to see you again. So, uh, Virgin Radio Pride UK is back. It's back indeed. This week, it starts again on Wednesday. The idea is to be very celebratory rather than confrontational, to have lots of fun, to represent everybody from everywhere on the rainbow spectrum. Um, But also, I don't know if your listeners realise, but it's 50 years this year since the first Pride March, which was very much a protest in those days in the UK. So we're going to take that opportunity to look back and um, celebrate how far we've come, but also kind of you know, pay tribute to the people who came before us, the pioneers, lots of the allies who fought for us, and tell our story and look at queer history and how it's moved on. And also, it's interesting, isn't it? I'm sure you like where you kind of think, uh, like RuPaul has this thing when you know talk about the news and he's watching the news and he's going, "Didn't we do this already?" And it, I feel like that with you know, particularly in America, where you kind of feel like, "Oh, all those rights that we were all so pleased we got." We're about to lose them all again. I know. And um, the thing that really struck me was that horrible news story a few months ago of um, a doctor in Cardiff who was beaten to death in some kind of homophobic attack in a park. And they were playing in the court some of the insults that these very young people were shouting out as they were battering him. And it was really upsetting, you know, because things are so much better than now and it's brilliant. And I absolutely want to celebrate that. But there's still pockets of intolerance that can sometimes erupt violently in our own country. Yeah. So you know. the show the show you're doing, you start, it's a, the, 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 the station launches on Wednesday. You appear by magic on Thursday. <laughs> uh, so what show are you doing this year? This year I'm doing a different show to last year. It's called Matt Cain Meets. Very simple. I have an hour every week. I meet another a different LGBTQ plus person of note who's got a fantastic story, got lots to say. And... Um, just you know, just giving them time to tell their story yeah. from you know to um, an audience predominantly of queer listeners. So we've got some brilliant guests this time. We've got the iconic lesbian musician Horace McDonald, trans activist Jake Graff, Arlene Phillips, everybody's favourite choreographer. She's coming to talk to us about. Her time in the 70s and 80s, working with dancers in pop videos in the West End at the height of the AIDS crisis, being an ally before we'd even invented the word. And it's just listening to all those stories. And I have to say, so far, we've recorded a few already. It's been brilliant. I'm really excited about people hearing them. But a couple of guests have got quite emotional because older gay or lesbian or trans people even though things are so much better for us now, and often I have days when I can't believe how brilliant things are compared to what they used to be when I was growing up, but you still can carry the scars with you of the things people told you about yourself when you were young and um, the things people said about gay people. And um, you can sometimes internalise that and it can affect your behaviour. You can behave in a... 
I'm saying you. What I basically mean is me. <laughs> <laughs> or I did, and some of my guests did. You can behave in a way that disrespects yourself, and there's a journey towards self-love. And that's one thing. I mean, I'm really interested in that as a writer, but that's one thing that recording some of these interviews so far has really struck me. Yeah. Virgin Radio Pride UK. The station launches this Wednesday. I was saying that Matt starts this Thursday. That is a lie, ladies and gentlemen. He's a week on Thursday. Yeah, they're just fine-tuning. They're just polishing your show <laughs> so it glistens as it should uh, when it comes out uh, Thursday week. So uh, you, you said you talked there about being a writer and the stories that attract you. Uh, the Secret Life of Albert Entwistle is out in paperback. Uh, is that... This Wednesday? Yes, it's out. Well, it's already out on ebook. It's been out in hardback for a while and it's out, um, yes, in a couple of days. I think you can buy it now online. <laughs> should um, you? Should you choose to? <laughs> so, um, yes, that's very exciting because um, I've had so many amazing responses to this book since, it's came, since it um, came out. And, yeah, it's lovely that it's getting a big audience now. It's about, it's set in the northwest of England, which is where I'm from. It's very much my love letter to Lancashire because that's um, the community I grew up in and it's about a lonely, unhappy but secretly gay postman in his 60s. He has a series of life crises and they make him want to turn things around and go and pursue happiness and he knows that the only way to do this is by delving back into his past, confronting an unresolved trauma Mm. and tracking down the lost love of his life, a man he hasn't seen since he was 16, nearly 50 years ago. And obviously there's a, I love a plot with lots of twists and turns, but um, it's partly what we were saying about learning to love yourself along the way. You know, he had this awful experience with somebody he loved. I can't tell you what happened because you find out through a series of flashbacks, but they were, they were, cruelly torn apart and he absorbed the message that the world was rejecting him the world didn't want him he was unlovable and um, he just closed the shutters and I think it's this character that people have really really connected with somebody who's had to suppress his sparkle to um, to conform to society's expectations to hide his true self but then finally getting this second chance and it all coming bursting out later in life and it's interesting you know obviously you're not as old as Albert Entwistle but was writing this kind of helpful to you in terms of finding a relationship being in a relationship kind of you know figuring things out but through Albert ooh good question it thank was thank you thank you the doctor is in <laughs> it was indeed because I hit 40 all my friends had been married for years I'd had a bad time growing up I'd been told horrible things about gays and myself and I absorbed that and thought I wasn't good enough I thought I wasn't worth it I was behaving in quite a way that was disrespectful to myself in my relationships and then it got to I got to 40, I was still single, and I just thought, maybe I've messed it up. You know, maybe it's not going to happen for me. I'll just enjoy other things in life. And then, um, at the age of 44, on Tinder, I found my South African Jewish boyfriend who's going to be my husband. And, you know, it's interesting when you get single later in life, you do know loneliness. You do start to think, what's wrong with me? And he had a similar experience. He'd only come out as gay the year before he met me. So a lot of these emotions I channeled 
into the book. And I think that's partly why readers are responding so positively to it. And when's the wedding? When's the wedding? Um, it was supposed to be last December and we had to cancel it because of Omicron. Of course. Which I'm sure you remember started in South Africa. So there was a whole red alert oh, going patient on Patient zero, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to be doing it this um, December. Um, oh, okay. Hopefully, fingers crossed. And I actually dedicated the book to Harry, my man who inspired that song, Totals Africa. So it's dedicated to my Harry Gladstone, who I call the real life Albert Entwistle. Oh, well, he, uh, Matt Kane, uh, the secret life Albert Entwistle. That story is out in paperback this week. At Virgin Radio starts. Um, just before we go, I just want to big up Virgin Radio because you know they. I, I'm so impressed that Virgin kind of took a chance on this thing and put a lot of resources into it and it paid off because it's won prizes, I believe. Yes, it won. At the New York International Radio Festival Awards, it won gold for, I think the category was Best Social Media Initiative and it's been showered with prizes left, right and centre. It won um, at the Proud Awards in Scotland. It won Best Brand Award. So, yeah, it's... It's, it's award-winning, just... ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's award-winning and I'm sure there'll be more uh, this year. Starts Wednesday, it runs for a few months, doesn't it? Yes, it's running until early September. Well remembered. <laughs> Matt, Matt said, plucking a date from the air. Um, good luck with the shows, good luck with the station and good luck with the book. Thanks for coming in, uh, Matt Kane. Still to come, someone will be winning some Waitrose goodies from our big spinny wheel. Stephen and Anita Mangan will be chatting about their brand new children's book, The Fart That Changed the World and Hollywood star, Austin Butler is in the studio talking about taking on the role of Elvis Presley in Baz Luhrmann's new biopic, Elvis. But first, let's cross to the kitchen and see what show chef Martha's been up to. She's here, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's time for a very glamorous afternoon oh, tea. I like this. Suitable for royalty. Uh, this is for the platy-jube. Uh, you could play these <laughs> if you're having a street party. So uh, what have you created? I mean, can I just say, before we get on to what it is, the presentation is lovely. I feel like oh, I've been taken out to the Ritz. It's uh, one of those special... It's one. What do you call those things? Uh, I think a tiered cake stand a is tiered what you call it. A tiered cake stand, ladies and gentlemen. It is lovely. <laughs> Did you make that yourself? Uh, John Lewis. <laughs> yes, I went up the potter's wheel <laughs> early this morning. Handcrafted. That's why it's got a slight wobble to it, because, you know, I made it by hand. <laughs> uh, all right, what's on it? So, I've got a savoury spread for our afternoon tea feast today and be followed by sweet things tomorrow. So, today we have got a coronation no chicken. Okay. So, coronation chicken, but as you might guess, without the chicken, but with an excellent substitute for the chicken. Okay. And we've also got some open smoked salmon sandwiches. Okay. Very fancy. And I noticed the coronation no chicken is in, what do you call those, a, a, a lettuce cup? Yes, a lettuce cup. Yeah. For those avoiding the carbs or <laughs> when you just, when you make a nice spread of afternoon tea things, it can be a bit bread heavy. Yeah. So it's quite nice to have things with a bit of vibrancy. Okay, here's my problem. Because <laughs> I, I, I do a crab thing in a, a lettuce oh, cup. Oh, very nice. And you buy the little gem lettuce, whatever it's called. Yes. And then the outside leaves are too big. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then after about two leaves, they become tiny little teeny things little and they're too small. So you end up chucking away most of a gem lettuce. 
Yes, I would. I would say save the hearts of the gem lettuce for a salad. You are yeah. right. You need to buy. I would suggest buy four lettuces to fill this amount. But some people like a smaller mouthful. Yes. Some people, the greedy people, can have the big ones at the bottom. Oh, and you could chop up that lettuce <laughs> and put it at the bottom of a prawn cocktail. Ah, yes. There you go. See, there we go. Then you can add that to your little spread. Uh, really lovely. So the texture in the coronation—it's totally traditional coronation chicken sauce. Yes. What gives it its texture? So the texture, this is a creation. All of these recipes are by Will Torrent. He's one of the Waitrose Innovation Chefs. So it comes up with a lot of clever things. I know that's the title you want, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um, Who's but... behind that door? <laughs> um, so he has used um, king oyster mushrooms, <gasps> which are excellent because they absorb lots of lovely flavour, but they also have a little bit more texture and a lot more flavour than some of the other kind of vegan slash vegetarian substitutes. So you start by taking your oyster mushrooms and massaging them in some rapeseed oil and some curry powder. They love that. And then (laughs) they really enjoy it. And then it goes into the oven (laughs) for 10 minutes um, just to get a little bit crispy, but it doesn't take very long at all. It's a really quick thing. I actually think this recipe is great because sometimes with your afternoon tea bits on on a party, they're sat out for a while. And if you've got chicken, everyone's thinking, oh, okay, is that allowed to be sat? How long's that been out there? But mushroom, you're all good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's the lettuce you're worried about now. The lettuce will be weeping, <laughs> but the mushroom will be safe to eat. <laughs> so the mushroom gets, gets um, in the oven, then when it comes out, you use two forks just to shred it up, and it kind of looks a bit like pulled pork. It's got a really lovely texture and flavour to it. Whilst that is baking, we're going to make our coronation sauce. So this is kind of, it's quite classic, but instead of raisins, which I think are a little bit love it or hate it, it's... Uh, dried apricots oh is that what little, it is yes, yes a bit more sweetness yeah, 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 yeah it's got some flaked toasted almonds in there as well some mango chutney some lime juice i think it's a really fresh uh, example of coronation chicken Mm. mayonnaise and creme fraiche but if you wanted to make it completely vegan use a coconut yogurt and a vegan mayonnaise and then you'll get exactly the same kind of texture mix it all together add in your oyster mushrooms pick your lettuce leaves wisely yeah <laughs> Throw away thousands of leaves. (laughs) (laughs) Crunch on a few of them and then we're going to fill the cups with the mixture. Sprinkle with some nigella seeds or some black mustard seeds and a little bit more flaked almond. And yeah, they look really pretty, really vibrant and a little bit different. No, they do. And and healthy. You feel like you could eat a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. Do you forget about all that mayonnaise? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Right, so on to the open smoked sandwiches. Now, there's, there's kind of no mystery here, but it looks beautiful. It's presented in a very special way. Yep, so an open sandwich, as you say, you see it all, you see what's going on straight away. There's no mystery. But when you've got beautiful ingredients like salmon and dill, and this has got pickled cucumber ribbons, so you take a cucumber, use a vegetable peeler just to peel long strips and stick it with some white wine vinegar and some dill just for 30 minutes. And it just gives that cucumber a bit of zing, which works really nicely with the salmon. And then this is kind of like a rye malted wheat bread from Waitrose. So it's got a little bit more kind of a depth of flavour than just your ordinary. It's not your pumpernickel. It's one. It's one. Yes. it's of breadier than pumpernickel. Yeah, it's not quite as intense as a pumpernickel, but you could use that if that's what you're into. But this is kind of an in-between. It's a bit multi. If you want your street party to end early. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to provide lots of drinks. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for that. Coronation No Chicken, Open Smoke Sandwich Sandwiches, the recipes by Will Tarrant, they're all available in the uh, Waitrose Weekend newspaper. Also, you could head to waitrose.com slash showchef not so easy to say, uh, to see all of Martha's recipes. Thank you so much. I'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. For some sweet things. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.
And look what's arrived. It is a delicious trolley with Martha <laughs> Collison, our show chef. Uh, what the hell have you got today? <laughs> I've got a sweet selection. A few were almost swiped on the way out by your guests, but yeah, they've arrived intact. <laughs> well done. Um, so I have got two more delicious afternoon tea things sweet today. Mm. Well, scones are kind of in the middle, but you know. So we've got some Earl Grey and orange scones served with some clotted cream and some blood orange and marmalade. Mm. Nice little twist on a classic. And then we've got uh, a good old classic tiffin. So it's chocolate, fruit and nut tiffin with a little golden sparkle for the Jubilee. Of course. And then you've got some lovely, is it pa- actually sliced passion fruit and things on the side? Yes, well, I've made you a cocktail as well to <laughs> serve alongside. I mean, I, I didn't want to sound overly keen. <laughs> and what is that yeah. in the back? What's that in the glass? What's that in the delicious glass? So this is a Will Torrent creation of a passion fruit platinum cocktail. So especially for the Jubilee, it's passion fruit curd, gin and champagne. Very fancy. Oh, wow. Is that your Buckingham Palace gin? Oh, it's the Buckingham Palace gin. Very oh, nice. Very oh. posh today. Very All the botanicals much. have been stolen with care <laughs> yes, from exactly. the garden in Buckingham <laughs> Palace. Uh, okay, uh, let's start with the uh, scones, mm. which fe- so the Earl Grey and a bit of orange in them. There is, yes. So they are a classic scone recipe, but the thing that makes them a bit different is that the milk that you put into your scones has been infused with loose leaf Earl Grey tea. Um, and then Earl Grey tea has got a bit of that bergamot flavour, which complements the orange really nicely. So you infuse your milk and then we're going to make our regular scones just with some self-raising flour, baking powder in a in a bowl, rub in your butter. Oh, made a nice little sound there. Yeah, nice. <laughs> rub in your butter and once that's breadcrumby, add your sugar um, and then the zest of an orange. Mix it all together, add in your infused milk. Ideally, you want that to infuse overnight, but you can... Okay. You can a couple of hours, I think, will do. Uh, but no, I, I, I said to you, the, they're so light. They're really lovely. They're not, you know, they're not stodgy or heavy like a scone can be. Yeah, exactly. I think the secret to making a really good scone is that when you t- go to cut them out, so roll out your dough, when you go to cut them out, instead of punching down with your cutter and then swivelling around, that kind of chaffs up the edges and makes it harder for them to rise. So you want to just go straight down, straight up onto your tray. I mean... Are you listening to this, everyone? <laughs> Write this down. Uh, that's brilliant tip. So you don't you don't do the squiggly bit because no. that okay. No uh, squiggling. Straight that's, up. Straight I mean, down. You know, and as you say it, I mean, I'm not a scientist, but that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Gets the layers. Let's the layers breathe. Let them rise and up. And then you're serving them with the the clotted cream. And what sort of jam have you got? So this is a waitress blood orange marmalade. Mm. Just a little bit, little bit posh, but you can do it with any kind of marmalade. Okay, let's get on to the chocolate fruit nut tiffin, which I kind of say, I don't know what chocolate is, is that, that is, but it's gorgeous chocolate. <laughs> yeah, it's a really nice mix. It's a mix of um, dark chocolate and milk chocolate. So it's ah. got the sweetness, but also kind of the bitter tang from the dark. It's got a bit of golden syrup, a bit of butter, and then some lovely kind of organic Highland shortbread because nothing but the best for the Jubilee. Apparently, Queen's favourite cake is chocolate fridge cake, which is technically Tiffin. So you're in good company when you're eating this, Tiffin. Yeah. We used to call it silage cake at school. I don't know why. (laughs) That sounds a lot less appealing. Yeah, I don't know why we called it silage cake, but we did. (laughs) It was still delicious. (laughs) And then on the top, it's got a fruit and nut mix, which you roll in this gold lustre spray, and then you put over the top of your Tiffin into the fridge, and that sets... Okay, while that's setting, 
let's approach the drinks cabinet. Oh, yes. <laughs> so you've got your Buckingham Palace uh, gin. The Queen's looking everywhere for her hedgerows. <laughs> the garden has been stripped bare. Um, so you've got the gin. What else happens? So it's a really simple cocktail, which I'm sure everyone will be pleased to know. So you want passion fruit curd is the secret here. So we're mixing our gin with passion fruit curd in a jug. The passion fruit curd's got a little bit of that egg in it, so it adds a little bit of thickness to the cocktail and also mm. makes it nice and bubbly as if you've done lots of fancy things. Yeah. Mix that together, divide it between four, or it says eight glasses here, but you know, I've done four because everyone likes a strong cocktail. <laughs> um, divide it between four glasses or eight glasses and then top up with champagne and then a few raspberries and a bit of passion fruit. Oh, I wonder, because something just hit me in the face and I thought, what was that? Oh. <laughs> it was <laughs> a raspberry. It disappeared <laughs> under the bubbles. Because <laughs> yeah, it's very frothy. It's like a, a yes. yeah, it's very, very frothy and, and almost, looks almost milky. Mm, yeah, the curd adds a really nice, luxurious texture to it. But yeah, th- literally three ingredients. Really nice, fancy, beautiful drink to serve to people. Gorgeous. Well, uh, recipes past and present can be found in the brand new Graham Norton with Waitrose Hub. We have a hub oh, now. That's nice to know. At uh, waitrose.com slash show chef and also you can find the recipes at virgin radio uk uh, on instagram you can stab away there and you'll be led to the recipes thank you so much martha uh, hopefully people will use some of these recipes for their their street parties next I weekend hope so and very shortly i might be giving away a thousand pounds of waitress food and drink to uh, help you host a fabulous unforgettable street party i'll see you in two weeks mm, All right. to it. enjoy your jujube thank you <laughs> thank you, you. Too. cheers <laughs> bye the graham norton radio show with waitrose you can taste when it's waitrose virgin radio Time to meet the authors and illustrator of The Fart That Changed the World. They are Stephen Mangan and uh, Sister Not Wife, uh, <laughs> Anita Mangan. Do, do people think you are a married couple? Uh, no, although Steve Wright did say, do you two live in the same house? Anyone who's seen us standing side by side yes. knows we have to be related yes. to each you, other. You, yes, you it's do. It's the pink hair that just separates us. <laughs> <laughs> if ever I have to wear a wig for anything, it's just fright. I'm looking at my sister, basically. We're very, very similar looking. You really are. Uh, and because you've been an illustrator for, how, how long have you been an illustrator? A long time? About 20 odd years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not forever, but yeah. And so, uh, was is that is you being an illustrator? How Stephen ended up writing the books? Pretty or, much. Oh, it yeah, is okay. pretty much because I work in books. I design books and illustrate them. And um, it was you know it was an idea that we would work together. I was trying to find a way to work with him, trying to design a logo for him, and it didn't work. So I thought we could do like a book? book for four or five year olds. You know, a picture book oh, where yes. I could just uh, maybe knock my bit out in an afternoon, <laughs> and it would be all the rest of it would be pictures. And then he said, "No, you have to write." a novel so there we go 50,000 words later yeah no because they are proper books but I feel like they're they're that lovely book that might be you know the first or second book a kid would read by themselves is that the idea I think so yeah I mean obviously it's quite a a grabby title this one uh, you know putting fart in the title our first book was a little bit more uh, had a bit more depth to it but I wanted to write uh, a joyous farce really you know, and based on the idea um, of the butterfly effect. That was my first thought, that some little event causes another event, which causes an, and there's a knock-on effect, and eventually something huge happens. You know, the famous example is a butterfly flapping its wings in one part of the world can cause a hurricane in another part of the world. And I thought it was a really interesting um, uh, area for children because I think they often feel that their actions don't impact on the world. 
that they yeah. that what they do doesn't have any import or or or, or, or you know uh, and also consequences consequences I think is a really good thing for kids to learn yeah. about yeah. you know you do stuff and who knows you know if you, if, where that might uh, end up exactly exactly right so instead of a butterfly flapping its wings we have a royal fart Woo-hoo! in this uh, in this jubilee year but perfect it's, you're so it's on funny. message you thought mm, what will sell farts farts and royal bunting everyone's talking about them. <laughs> and when it comes to because it's one of those books where the you know the text the illustrations it's all kind of interwoven even though it is you know a proper chunky book mm-hmm. so what do you get what does Stephen deliver to you uh, Anita or or are you are you doing work and showing it to him and saying, well, could you write around this, please? No, that would be nice. One day, one day, it'll all be mine. Um, no, he gives me the words, he gives me the story. I go away and after I've picked myself up off the floor laughing hysterically at his amazing words, very good, I've been very told good. to say that. Yeah, what a sister, um, what a sister. <laughs> oh, oh, sister oh gentlemen. wow. Good Christmas of the Mangan House this year. <laughs> and then I, yeah, then I go from draw things and, and my intention is to make Stephen laugh first and foremost. Um, and, and, if he, and then he gets back to me and says, yay, most of the time. Nearly well, 98% of the, time. Yeah, of the yeah. time, yeah. He's a very good client. I mean, that must be... Yes, that. I, do you have, because you are brother and sister, do you have that freedom where you can just go, go what, no, <laughs> that's not how I saw them. Or, you know, do you have that sort of relationship? Well, uh, yes, we do. But uh, because we grew up together, we're only a year apart in age, we were so close growing up. And our, I suppose our sense of humour and sens- sensibilities were forged together. So I never have to explain what I mean. It's not like I'm trying to explain the joke to someone or explain the character. Anita gets it instantly. And then it's the same with her illustrations, which make the book, I have to say, after her nice words, that the illustrations <laughs> do completely make the book. Um, I, I, we, do, the, we don't need to discuss much. We just sort of get it. We have a sort of telepathic understanding. We also have... Um, you do seem to write a lot about teeth and hair. You I either why. have very little hair or a lot of hair. <laughs> Toothy grins. Yeah. I mean, you know, and eyebrows. It's, great to draw. It's, all and eyebrows yeah. it's all there. The whole mangan, you know, uh, palette is there. <laughs> and was there someone else? Is there? Was there? So you know, because. It, you know, I, I guess your parents, so on one level you know what kids enjoy, what they like, how long a book should be and all that sort of stuff. But is there someone else kind of going, actually, th- that word is a word too far, a kid won't understand that at this age? Yeah, definitely. My editor at Scholastic is uh, is good at that because I, you know, you can't write, you have to write to make yourself laugh or have to write so that something you will enjoy so I can't sit there going, well, I don't think this is funny, but I think a 10-year-old will. You know, <laughs> I just have to write what I think is interesting and funny and, and, and would, will grip people. And occasionally my, you know, my rants about whatever, they'll very gently say, you probably shouldn't put that in the book for 10-year-olds. And I'll be like, OK, but I'm glad I just got it out of my system. Uh, yeah, so they, you, you, do, you do need to be reminded occasionally uh, what what works for that age group? But then again, you know, saying that, I mean, I, I write them. I, I hope someone of my age will enjoy reading it. Uh, that's the plan. Yeah. But also, it must be the nicest thing as parents to have jokes that make the whole family laugh. That oh, must be yeah. the best feeling in the world when all of you are laughing at the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and the best the best kind of the best films are cross generation, aren't they? And the best books and. But yeah, we yeah best film ever Paddington Two best <laughs> film in the world. It's, it's just so incredibly good. good. I, I I genuinely thought Paddington might drown. 
I kind of thought they wouldn't. Surely they would. They would. But but I still feared for him. Yeah. I mean, as as a fifty-something-year-old man, yeah. I'm watching this bear, thinking, is he going to drown? Yeah. <laughs> kids go a long way with you. You know, children will really go with stuff, and you can take them to the brink of real drama uh, as long as they feel, I think, that they're in safe hands and that they know ultimately Paddington will be all right, or that the fart won't destroy the world, just change it. And you know, you do not just illustrations, but you kind of like how does it work when you're doing like deliciously Ella or you're doing a fur and cotton book? You do, are you doing the layout? Or? Yes, graphic design. Yeah, yeah. I, I design books and I've designed gin bottle labels for gin bottles and logos and yeah, yeah, do all that business. And is that as much? Fun or is it more fun doing actual, you know, scribbly illustration, look at me, what I did make? Yeah, the, the most fun I've had is doing these books with my brother because it's just us, you know, it's just, oh, we, we can do whatever we want within reason. I know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's the most fun. It's not for a brand, you know. When, when you're doing something for a brand, you have to follow their guidelines. You sometimes get given a Bible, which is, you know, like a telephone directory of this is what you must do with the style and everything. But, uh, no, this is the most fun. And when you're doing one of those kind of celebrity-based books, do you meet them or do they have any input or do you just go, shut up, I'm a graphic designer, I know what I'm doing? <laughs> they say it to me. No, um, I've, I have met them, but there's, it depends. It depends I, I bumped into them once. <laughs> they kept at an arm's distance from me. I'm not allowed anywhere near their glass cage. <laughs> And uh, what about you, Stephen? So is writing, I mean, would you... Because, you know, it strikes me you could, uh, you know, not, not to ditch you, Anita, not to not to sideline you, but, you know, yeah. are you tempted to kind of now up it and go young adult or to go kind of into uh, popular I, fiction? I don't know, because I... F- find that this age group is the one that really appeals to me. <laughs> and I, don't know when, I, was, I was talking to my teacher, who was that teacher for me, who really oh, switched yeah. me on to books and films and acting and everything when I was sort of 11, 12, 13. And I think it's no coincidence that that's the age group I'm writing for. I think maybe it's because I've got children who are around that age as well that I'm particularly tuned into it. But I just love how silly you can be, how imaginative you can be, how you can break rules and conventions and... And, and I'm, I suppose secretly I'm worried that I'm not mature enough to write for an old <laughs> age group. <laughs> that anyone older than 15 is just going to go, this is so trite. Well, have you not lived? Do you have no soul? Have you never loved? Get out of my face. Go back to writing about farts. And I, I can't have you in without saying congratulations on the last season of The Split. Thank you. Uh, but not the last season. Uh, it is the last season. It is the last well, according season. to Abby Morgan. But then she vacillates every time I see her. She's like, oh, I'd like, I really want to do more. But no, there can't be any more. Because it's a will-they-won't-they they divorce thing. Yes. And I think after a while, people are like, OK, we don't care anymore. <laughs> make up your mind. It's been 42 seasons of will-they-or-won't-they. They. Just make up a decision. So she had already had, she already had three uh, series in mind. We've done three series. And they've been, you know, beyond our wildest dreams for how popular they've been. So yeah. Maybe leave it there. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. All right, we'll look forward to that. And in the meantime, uh, The Fart That Changed the World is out in paperback now. Thank you so much for coming in to see us. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.
He's here, ladies and gentlemen, my second guest of the day, Austin Butler. He stars as Elvis in the movie Elvis, uh, directed by Baz Luhrmann. It is in cinemas on the 24th of June. What a time to be you. Uh, (laughs) You must be high as a kite. It must be just fantastic. I'm just over the moon right now. I also got to say, as soon as I heard I was coming to London, the first question I asked my publicist was, am I going to get to do Graham Norton? Because you are my absolute favorite. Oh, I just it. adore you. Stop and I love right watching your you. show. No, Thank you're you. the best. You're the best. <laughs> uh, so here's the thing. Um, I, if people don't know, the film uh, just was at Cannes. Uh, people can't say enough things about you. Obviously, when you're making the film, you're in the moment. And even if you look at dailies or rushes, you know, Baz Luhrmann doesn't leave a moment of this film kind of unexamined and and altered and changed. What was it like when you sat down and watched your performance, watched the whole film? It was the most magical night of my life. I hadn't seen the film. And I, so... So the first time you saw it was with an audience? First time was with the audience in Cannes. I'd never been to Cannes before. And uh, I... Baz had asked me if I wanted to watch it by myself prior. And I thought, you know, I've waited this long. It would be the most magical thing I could possibly imagine if I sit down in that palais and finally get to see this film that I've spent the last three years obsessing about. And suddenly I was there. And there was a moment midway through act one where I just took a deep sigh because I would felt so much pressure and tension and all this fear. And suddenly I thought, oh, here it is. And you feel... I, I just, like I, I was saying to you before we went on the air, I, it was the first time I was able to watch myself and not judge in, in the way that I usually do. Because usually you see yourself and I, I still always have things. I'm like, I wish I did that or that. But with this, I was like, just, I was able to watch it as an yeah. audience member in a way. And what, what you do and what Baz Luhrmann do, and I've never seen it before, you really capture, because I never saw Elvis live, but yeah. I feel now I have. Because they really wow. capture that, that, I don't know, that electricity, that whatever it is of him performing. Um, that moment, so when the young, when you're the young Elvis, I told you this would happen, I'd just talk at you for 20 minutes. <laughs> I, I'll get to a question in a minute after yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. But it, when you're the young Elvis, you kind of, you know, you look like Austin Butler. Then yeah. there's a moment when you come to the TV special, the kind of, you know, the leather-clad TV yeah. special, and the camera finds you, and I was like, whoa, like... So what had they done to you? Is that have they changed you, or is that just you acting? What had happened? Yeah. So it's I, there's for one, I had the most incredible prosthetics team, and uh, and so they, they did very subtle prosthetics to to just age my face up, and uh, and it's it, we did so many tests because you, you it's easy to take that too far. And suddenly, that's what your eye is focusing yeah. on. So we had to find that subtle, that subtle thing that just makes you feel older. And, and uh, so that's that's what we did with that. And then it was it was honestly just studying how his movements changed over the years. So and how his voice changed over the years. And so I just did uh, just endless amount of research and and obsession on that. And uh, we must also tell people one of the extraordinary things about your performance isn't just that but it is you singing it is you doing the singing was that a kind of a let's see how it goes thing <laughs> where, where like Baz Luhrmann going yeah yeah you're gonna yeah. sing and he's kind of in the back of his mind going oh well I can always you know dub it afterwards uh, or was it always going to be you well f- from the very beginning Baz knew that the acetate recordings of the 50s w- wouldn't they're all mono so we couldn't use those oh. in the film 
So the 50s, we knew, he, he knew we were going to have to have somebody sing that. And so he had thought, well, maybe we hire somebody who sounds, you know, just like Elvis or this or that. And this is before he met me. And I, also, I never was a singer. I, I would sing for... I, I would serenade a girlfriend or something, you know, but I would never sing in front of anybody else. And uh, and so when it came time to to actually meet with Baz and stuff, I just worked on my voice like crazy. It was I just obsessed about it. And we had about five months before I was officially cast where we would experiment and try, you know, me singing Suspicious Minds or me singing Hound Dog or me singing Don't Be Cruel or whatever it was. And uh, and then by the time that it, it got to filming, and Baz threw me in the deep end. We went to Nashville, and the first time I ever was in a recording studio was in Elvis's old recording studio there in Nashville. Oh wow! And they had shipped in the actual machinery that he had recorded Heartbreak Hotel on, and I recorded Heartbreak Hotel my first day in a recording studio on that. It was unbelievable. I just got I had chills the whole time. That sequence at the when you're developing the when Elvis you when, when Elvis <laughs> is developing the the Vegas sound yeah. and you're going through the band yeah. and da, da, da. I mean did do you know enough about music to know what you were doing in that sequence? You know the crazy thing about that sequence was we had for for about seven months prior to filming that we had a, a recorded a pre-recorded track with a click and so i would have four bars of the piano coming in four bars of the drums four bars of this or that and uh the day of we started doing it to the click track and baz for the first time i looked over and i saw that he wasn't there was something on his face and, and he said you know what this this isn't working Let, let's uh would would you mind doing it live elvis and uh and and he goes could you could you how he said are are these all real musicians and the musical director elliot said yeah yeah they are and and he said their their instruments are muted though and he said well can we unmute their instruments and have them do it live and so you have to orchestrate them and then he told all the musicians i want you to intentionally play it wrong and so i almost had a panic attack we did it the first time and it all fell flat on its face and then I, then hair and makeup comes up and everything. You're surrounded. And I said, guys, I need 10 minutes. I need to go off by myself for a second. I went into the uh, uh, the dressing room and I just had this pep talk with myself where, I, where I, I said, you know, this isn't about it being perfect. This isn't about your idea of what this scene should be. This is about being present with the music and feeling what it feels like to have something in your mind and have to get the sound. So I know what it is and they don't. And so I went out there and then I spent as much time as I needed to with the pianist until he got that, what was right in my head. And, and then suddenly this transcend, like transcended what yeah. I thought that scene was. And it was, it was one of the most magical days on set. But then to watch it in yeah. Cannes and yeah. see what happened to yeah. it. I mean, it's so it's such a brilliant yeah. sequence. And very quickly, just before we... Li- we've got to listen to some uh, uh, the actual Elvis. Hell so yeah. did, did he call you Elvis all the way through? He would kind of go back and forth. He'd call me oh. Oscar, Elvis. Or, you know, because that, that's the thing. Is we, it's, it's about merging my soul with his in a way. You know, that's what I realized is I can't just be a caricature of him. I've got to bring every bit of my own soul to this. And if, honestly, when you, listeners, if you see this film and I urge you to see this film, you will know what we're talking about. It really is an extraordinary merge between actor and character. It's phenomenal. And you've seen it in cinema. I think what he's done really cleverly is you can't wait to see this on the small screen because of all that split screen stuff he does. Oh, yeah. Like, it wouldn't work on a small screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's built for the 
the cinema. It's on the big screen. It's yeah. built for the cinema, exactly. Yeah. It's a spectacle. Um, listen, Austin, I love the idea of meeting you at this moment in your life because, <laughs> you know, you were a successful actor. You were a jobbing actor, but you were very successful. You worked all the time. And now this thing has happened mm. to you where you're now the star of this, you're in the new Dune movie, you're doing a big streaming thing. When did you feel a kind of a shift? Was it we're doing Iceman Comet on yeah, Broadway? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I've been, I've been working as an actor since I was 12, and, and a lot of the time you're just having to pay the rent. Yeah. And uh, and, and, and you were doing yeah, really doing, well. I was doing things that I was I was really proud of, and um, but but it, it, there was always this thing where the type of work that I wanted to do, I wasn't quite getting to do it. All those people that I looked up to as a kid, James Dean and Brando and De Niro and Leo, and like the, the this this world of of really getting to be challenged as an actor, I, I hadn't quite been able to do that, and then and then I spent a, a period of time where I said, you know, I would rather not work than to than to do something that I don't believe in. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then Iceman Cometh came up, so it had been about eight months or something that I didn't work, and then I did this play with Denzel and in, in on Broadway, and that changed everything for me. Suddenly, it suddenly then I then I. Then Quentin, you know, when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came up, he he loves theater, and so we had this. We really bonded, and and then I got to do that movie with him and Jim Jarmusch. I got to work with him, and and now this, and so I just feel so grateful. And is it true the thing about Denzel Washington calling calling Baz Luhrmann? Yeah, and you, you didn't know at the time. I didn't know. I didn't know, and I I, I didn't speak to Denzel before or after. Uh, but he, he didn't even tell me he was going to do it. It was just out of the generosity of his own soul that he he, call, he heard I was screen testing and he called Baz. To say, yeah. look out for this guy. Yeah. Wow. So, and did, But when you were working with Denzel, because, yeah. you know, you've now worked with Denzel Washington, you've worked with uh, uh, Tom Hanks in this movie. Yeah. What do you, are they, do they... I guess it's a difficult thing because they don't want to be patronizing to you, yeah. but at the same time they see you at one end of your career and they're at the other. Yeah. Do, do they do they give you words of wisdom or? Yeah, I, all of them. Brad, Leo, Denzel. They 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 all have have their things that they've sort of taken me under their wing in a, in a way, you know. And and it's and uh, which I, honestly it feels like a dream because uh, these are all my heroes. Um, and and Denzel, uh, there's many things. I mean, we were doing a play, so we had a ton of rehearsal time. And in the beginning, you know, I, I just went in there. I just said, you know, I'm not going to try to be his friend. I'm just going to try to do my job as well as I possibly can. So I memorized the four-hour play before the first day of of the table read for the rehearsal because I was terrified. <laughs> and uh, and then I think he saw that dedication, and so he started going, you know, I got an idea for you. And he told me how you, uh, Eugene O'Neill is similar to Shakespeare and that you can sort of ride the rhythm of the text. And um, there was all these things. And, and just watching him on stage, how he never did the same scene the, the same way twice. You know, he always had this new life and it, it, this new presence, and it was incredibly powerful to watch. And, and I read an interview where you were talking about, uh, you know, because you had so long, yeah. Uh, because there was a delay before the beginning, then there was a, a COVID delay in the middle. So you were Elvis for a very long time. And I read a thing where Tom Hanks gave you advice about not yeah. getting lost in yeah, Elvis. Yeah, and I really took that into the job I did after because with Elvis, it was all-encompassing. I didn't, I didn't, I put my life on pause for two years and I just, because I, I, I just, I knew how, 
how much I, how easy it is to slip into the feeling of being an imposter in that situation. And so I thought, well, I got to just figure out how does Elvis brush his teeth? How does he get up in the morning? Like all the mundane things and then building from the foundation up. And so Tom did say, yeah, he was like, you know what? I like to read something that has nothing to do with the job that I'm doing every day. And so <laughs> now I try to balance life a little bit. Well, whatever you did, it worked. Austin Butler, uh, run, don't walk to see him perform as Elvis in Elvis. It's in cinemas on the 24th of June. Uh, huge congratulations to you. Thank you so Thank much for coming so much, in. Graham. All right, take care. Okay, it's time for the Waitrose Wheel. Mmm, it's our posh competition. I spin, you win. And once again, the big prize is £1,000 worth of food and drink from Waitrose to create your own street party for the Queen's Jubilee next weekend. Also on the wheel, you get Buckingham Palace gin. I'm drinking some right now. It's exclusive to Waitrose. Hand-picked botanicals from Buckingham Palace's garden. You could also win a Moet Chandon Imperial Rosé Champagne Jubilee. There's cakes, there's sweets, there's all sorts. You will win something. It might feel like losing. <laughs> if you don't get one of the big prizes, but you will have won something. Okay, first on the call is Janice. Hello, Janice. Oh, hello. Hi, where are you, Janice? I'm in Cumbran in South Wales. Very good. Okay. And uh, were you planning to do anything for the Jubilee or would you just like to win some stuff? Um, We're doing something a couple of days earlier because it's um, celebrating a couple of other things at the same time. Of course, life goes on. All right. Uh, well, now, where where are you? What's in the background? Is that children, animals, passers-by? Well, I've just been on a walk by the river, so I'm just heading back to the car, and now people have come along. <laughs> okay. Well, they might be able to help you. You never know. Uh, because before, before we get to the wheel, uh, you've got a little thing to do. You've just got to tell me who sings this song. It's a song about a street. Okay. Oh dear. Okay. So, no, I think right. I think it's easy. I think it's easy. So uh, right. I think it's this. But well, you you'll play it in there. Okay. Here we here we go. This. Who's this? Okay, it did sound like someone flushed a toilet in the background just then, but um, so it's it, it, it was street. I, I mean, it, the lyric you could hear Alphabet Street. So, do you know who was singing that? Well, the only real connection I can think of is Prince. Let's <laughs> no. let's see if you're right. You are right, Janice. <laughs> <laughs> you see, oh, oh, Lady Luck. Lady Luck is with you. Lady Luck is with you, Janice. Okay, it's time to spin the wheel. Uh, I'm doing it myself uh, with my own fair hand. Do you want me to right. spin it uphand or downhand? Last week um, we had a lot of luck with uphand. We we got the thousand we'll pounds. Do that with up. We'll do uphand again. Okay, Janice. Good right. luck to you. I approach the wheel. I, I'm wheeling towards the wheel. Okay, uphand. Right. Here we go. Okay. And, whoa! That was a very weak spin. But anyway, let's see where it goes. It goes. Oh, oh. Uh, well, Janice, you have won something. <laughs> oh yes. It's, I'm, I'm teetotal with a chocolate allergy, so come on, what have I got? Oh, well, if you're teetotal with a chocolate allergy, you'll love what you've won. You've won <laughs> some Waitrose Dutchy Organic Highland All Butter Shortbread. Oh, I love shortbread. <laughs> 
And, you know, you've done all that walking, so you've earned the calories, Janice. That's right, yes. <laughs> uh, someone at Waitrose is very happy that we haven't given away thousand pounds. They're just like, phew, it's only the shortbread. We're all good. Um, <laughs> is there anyone you'd like to say hello to, Janice, while you're on the, while you're on the radio? No, I don't think anybody will know. All right, Janice. Well, listen, congratulations and thanks for calling in. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye, 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 bye. They'll be celebrating the jujube by eating some shortbread uh, in a car park. Boom! Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, have you clicked that follow button on your socials? If not, you're missing out of all our behind-the-scenes action from the kitchen to the studio. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Speak to you soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.